What a beautiful day. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll begin reading at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll read beginning at verse 10. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. May God add a special blessing in the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we again thank you for your wisdom, for your truth, for an awesome God that is beyond our imagination, that is complete in every way, your holiness, your righteousness, your power. Father, all of those things speak and resonate with us as truly the Lord of Lord, God of gods. Father, today we would ask that you would allow us to see you more clearly than we ever have. Using the word, and particularly, Father, that the Holy Spirit would solely and completely be our teacher. Father, we pray for those that have come out this afternoon, that you would bless them and their families, their loved ones. Father, we think of those as well that are not able to be here today for various reasons, that you would surround them with your love, protect them. And Father, now these moments we give to you, knowing that it would be the best investment we could give. Father, we thank you for what you'll accomplish today. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you, asking you to guide and direct us through your precious word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, last week we began, I guess I would say, a continuation almost of where we were in Daniel. We uh, were in Daniel for a number of weeks, watching a man that was very disciplined, even as a teenager, thinking about what that took in a foreign land. He probably was eight or 900 miles from where he grew up from that little nation of Israel. And for him, at a young teenager, being in the king's camp, if you will, Nebuchadnezzar, who ruled with an iron hand, uh, if you didn't like what he did, uh, you were in deep trouble, especially if you stated that. And this young man, Daniel, said he was determined or disciplined in his heart to take a stand, to take a position that he would not defile himself. And the rest of that book is really all about that. And from him being a teenager all the way up into his middle to upper 80s, he maintained that stance. 
he maintained a sense of diligence upon doing what God wanted him to do. And we talked, well, it was, I guess it was a long session. I don't know how many weeks we were there. Some of you thought it was an eternity, but it wasn't quite that long. It was just a little bit short of that. But one of the things we uncovered in that was in chapter 10 of, um, of Daniel was, it was like pulling the, sh- the curtain back and seeing inside the spiritual arena. It spoke of Daniel fasting and praying for 21 days. And it said later on in that chapter that literally upon Daniel beginning his prayer that God sent a messenger, an angel, to reveal to Daniel the answer to his prayer. And for 21 days, he continued to fast, even through what we would call a high holy day. The Passover was in that section of those 21 days. And to think that it took that long for God to answer. Now, I'm not here to say that I understand all of it, but there were things that were revealed. In essence, that messenger from God was held up by the prince of Persia, who was the reigning empire of which is quite honestly a demon and they were fighting and this may sometimes shock us but we are in a war (laughs) and if you don't think we are you've lost the battle okay it's full it's big and it's real and Daniel even back it was 2500 years ago that battle has become more raging than we can even possibly imagine across our world today, spiritually. It is absolutely a big deal. But the good news is, is that literally, God dispatched Michael, the archangel. He's he's really powerful. And he was able to thwart the prince of Persia so that the messenger could go to Daniel and reveal, which we actually have now in Daniel 10 through 12, which we're using, and I'm enthused by what God wrote and what Daniel received. But that war continues. That's what we're talking about today, is how do we react to what's going on in our world? And Paul wrote this letter. That's, that's an interesting thing, too. There's, there's a sense of, of a paradox between God's strength and our appropriation. We're going to be talking a lot about that in the sense of it's important for us to do what we can do in God's strength. Paul, at the very end of of, of Ephesians, which is, I don't have a favorite book, but it's got to be one of those. The first three chapters are getting your mind right. You don't get your mind right, you can't possibly live right. He does that in every one of his epistles. Let's think right so we can live right. You don't live right first and then think right. No, that's totally backwards. And Paul does it in every one of his epistles. Let's get the right thinking. Let's get the right truth. And he does it here as well. And and then at the very end of this, and I know it probably, we should have started verse 1 of chapter 1, but we didn't. We're going to verse 10 where it says, finally, in other words, I've told you how to think. I've told you how to basically live your life. Rubber meets the road. Finally, it's still not going to be easy. I've told you about God's power. I've told you who you are positionally in Christ. I've told you all the good stuff. But it's not going to be easy. Again, you would find life to be very much that way, in particular if you're a Christian, if you're a believer. We find in our nation, America, the U.S. of A., to think back uh, when this nation was started. It was started under a time of tyranny. It was started when religious freedom was not openly and explicitly allowed. There was choices that were made then. We're the result of those choices. We are almost going full circle. 
How do we live? How can we defeat evil? It's interesting that the word that's used in verse 12, let's go back to, if you're not in Ephesians, uh, turn with me once again to Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 12, it says we wrestle, for we wrestle. How many of you have felt that you wrestled this week? I did. Actually, there was a lot of wrestling. There's a lot of wrestling going on. And it, it's, it's the real deal. If you weren't wrestling, you were either asleep or you're on vacation somewhere. <laughs> it's, there's, it's all full-scale warfare. The thing that's also upon us is probably one of Satan's greatest weapons, his greatest strategies is one of complacency. Lethargy, indifference, who cares? I mean, does it really matter? I mean, what, I can't do anything? Well, one of those things that we could kind of check on ourselves is how are we investing? How are we investing our time, our energy, our money, our talent? All of those things lay out for us what's important to us. I'd like to read, we did it last week, but uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I want you to get in Paul's mind a little bit. He's, this is the la- last part of the first letter he wrote to the church at Corinth. And just to see the kind of guy he was, he wanted to be in the heat of the battle. Well, uh, we'll start in verse 5. These are his closing comments. He's planning a visit to Corinth, but watch how he, what he says. Now, verse 5, chapter 16, 1 Corinthians. Now, I will come on to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. It may be that I will abide, yes, and winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. In other words, he's saying, I, I want to come and see you. I, I want to spend time with you. In verse 8, but I will tarry at Ephesus. This is really, this is the letter that we're speaking of now, this letter to the Ephesians. He was in Ephesus until Pentecost. Watch, verse 9. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now, how many of you stick around somewhere because there's a lot of enemies? That's not normal, is it? But Paul was that, I mean, he's a great missionary. He literally said, God has opened the door, and because of an open door, there are a number, a great number of adversaries. And I'm in the middle of it. That's Paul the Apostle. Um, By the way, we don't have to go hunting the enemy. I want to make sure I'll say that probably a number of times we go through this study. You don't have to go devil chasing. You don't have to go demon chasing. They will come to you. You stand for the Lord. He's going to come and they will come and find you. Now, it's interesting, our position is to stand, stand, stand firm. That position is is readily, all through the scripture, particularly the New Testament, stated for us. Now, do we have enough strength? Well, verse 10, we spoke of it last week, we'll come back to it in a bit of review. Ephesians chapter 6, back there, it says, Finally, my brethren, he's speaking to Christians, he's speaking to those that have trusted Christ as Savior. He says, Be strong in your own might, in the power of your flesh. No, that's not what it says. In fact, it's completely the opposite of that. Now, there are those of us that once in a while we depend on ourselves. Oh, maybe we do that a lot more than we think. Uh, I'll raise my, this week, I'm sure there were moments, many moments that I was depending upon myself. And after the fact, it was like, that didn't work out very well. It doesn't work out very well. If you're standing in the power of your might and the power of your strength, it's a disaster. But that's not what Paul said. He said, you need to stand firm 
and strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's his whole message in getting it right. Uh, God is our resource. God is our strength. God is our power. And literally to win, it will take divine energy. In fact, uh, look at the connection that he makes back in Galatians. Just turn back uh, one little book to your left, uh, Galatians chapter 2, and look at how he sees himself. This is Paul writing to, that, to the, the church that was confused. It was trapped in legalism, and he was trying to get their eyes back on grace, that God accomplished it. There was nothing they could add to it. And he says here in verse 20 of Galatians chapter 2, he says this, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see that connection actually in Ephesians. Uh, that's something that is a common theme. In him, in Christ, in whom, there's the positioning of our being completely within Christ. But it doesn't stop there. Okay? In other words, there's no lack of strength. If you're going to write down, it, and sometimes I do this, I take a legal pad and I split it down the middle, and on the one side I have the pros and the other side I have the cons. Now, sometimes you have tough decisions. You've got to figure those things out. And for me, I'm a visual kind of a guy. I've got to see it on a board. And then I actually, if I can't, I try to put a board in my mind and I look at it in my head. I'm one of those visual kind of people. So on this list, we would say, Wow, more strength and power we could possibly need is right there. That's on the left side. If you, well, it depends on how you put it. But on the left, pros are always, to me, that's the first. So very strong. Is there anything lacking from God's strength? No, not a thing. In fact, I'm going to jump ahead for a moment. We'll come back. Hopefully, I'll come right back here. But uh, we'll talk about the enemy for a moment, uh, that of Let's verse 12, and I want to see how much stronger that Jesus Christ is, is, is considered in the sense of all of that. Verse 12 says in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, that's where we usually get it wrong. Have you noticed? Uh, when you're wrestling, it's with other men or other women in the sense of this back and forth. That's the wrong picture. He says that clearly because that's not the strategy of Satan. He will use them, but it's bigger than that. It's a spiritual warfare. For Daniel, when he was praying to God, that was a spiritual warfare. There was literally an angel and a demon fighting over the message. This is much bigger than flesh and blood. But he says, and he, he, he uh, describes it, he said, no, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Four times he lists against each one of those before he names them. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 21. Keeping that in mind, those four divisions, if you will, and they are just that. They would be categories of spiritual beings that are unholy, that are literally followers of Satan. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 21 says this. Now again, he's, he's getting the thinking right. He wants you to know who Christ is. He wants you to know the power that you have in him. Ephesians 1.21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. He is higher. He's seated at the, at the right hand of God, and he is higher than any principality, than any power. Did you see those names that we just looked at we're fighting against? So Jesus Christ is higher than those. On that same vein, let's go to Colossians. Turn to the right. You'll find Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Now, this is talking about the preeminence of Christ. That's the, letter, the focus of the letter of Colossae. And look at in verse 16, chapter 1. 
It's even more impressive. For by him, him being Jesus Christ, verse 16, chapter 1, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. So all of these things we're actually warring against, Jesus Christ created them. Wow. Chapter 2, the same book. Colossians, we'll look at two more verses and then we'll move on. Chapter 2, verse 10 and 15. Verse 10. It says this. You are complete in him. Again, speaking of Jesus Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. See the same terms that were used in chapter 6 of Ephesians. And then verse 15. And having spoiled or controlled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over, the, triumphing over them in it. Is there any question of who's in charge here? This is important. God's strength is adequate for the battle that you face. Now, do you feel weak? Oftentimes. That's okay. And in fact, Paul felt very weak. He said, but in my weakness, God has made, I have made strong in my weakness through God's strength. That's exactly the picture that he's painting for us in Ephesians. Let's go back now and let's back to Ephesians chapter 6. Speaking of his power, is there enough power? Absolutely. So how can we lose sometimes? I don't want to say all the time. Have, well, have, how many of you lost a, a battle this week in the sense of your mind, spiritual? Every hand should shoot up, but I'm, I'm good with that. Don't. Don't, don't declare guilty, right? It's okay because it's from this point forward. Why? Why did you lose? Was God strength? Was God not strong enough? Was there not enough might there? Were you in the wrong position geographically? What's the problem? Now we spoke in our last session that Daniel was was certainly an identity for us to say that God's blessings fall within the circle of obedience. God's blessings fall within the circle of our obedience. I also want to tell you that it's obedience is the roadway to his protection. God's obedience, I'm sorry, our obedience is literally also dependent upon our, our obedience is the roadway to God's power and his strength. Let me say it that way one more time. So what does that all mean? What are we supposed to do? Well, he declares for us, if you have the might, you have the power in God. Verse 11, chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Let me tell you a quick story. Uh, there was a, a man and a boy were watching a boxing match on television. And they were going through their, you know, I don't know what they, you know, you know have you ever watched a boxing match? I mean, it's, it's like they're getting all ready for, for one another and there's all this, stuff, you know, jumping around and stuff. And this one, and the, he was in this corner and all of a sudden he kneels down. And he crosses himself, and he gets up. And the young boy said to the dad, he says, does that really help? And the father said something very, I think, very, <laughs> it was very clever. He said this. He said, son, only if he can punch. <laughs> it was like me in school. I always prayed before my test. I shouldn't say always, but there was a point in high school. Uh, there was a, I, I don't know, it was for some reason, I, I, have a, I have a test of any kind. I would just, you know, I would just take a moment, and I would pray about the test. I found I was much more effective if I had studied for the test do you see the point? <laughs> in fact, there's a couple of times it was in geometry, which I disliked for whatever reason. And I hadn't studied very much, but I was thinking, well, possibly God could get me through this if I prayed loud enough and long enough. <laughs> However, it is connected to our 
study habits in my case. It's much the same way in the sense of spiritual victory. God has all the strength. It's all available. But you have to put on the armor. That's your job. That's your job to get that done. Without it, we can expect results that are less than desirous. Appropriation. Doing what he has given to us. He's provided everything we need to be victorious. Uh, Cromwell said this. He said, trust in God, but keep your powder dry. (laughs) Same principle, isn't it? Uh, You've heard this, let go and let God. I don't find that in the Bible. We need to do everything that God enables us to do. If you have the ability to read and to study and think and look at God's word, you need to do that. God isn't going to take his, God, he's not going to take his word and just slather it over you. That's a decision that you make. That's a choice that you make. Very, very important that we understand the appropriation is our responsibility, and that's part of the obedience. It is the strongest weapon we have, literally, against Satan and his demons, is obedience to God. When are you the most vulnerable? We may have different answers to that. One of them, in fact, uh, maybe in in prior sessions, one of the places that that I know personally myself, if I'm really tired, really hungry, and if I'm really hungry and really tired, that's not a good place for me to be. I need to fix that if possible. Again, you have to be very, very careful. One of the most vulnerable positions for us to be in where we have not been obedient to what we know God is telling us. That's a very, very dangerous place to be. That's a very dangerous place to be. Satan knows all of these things. He's very observant. And one of the things that he's so good at is the sense of getting a beachhead. We'll be talking about that in just a moment. But the other thing I want to be careful to say here that Positionally, the sense of our security. Let's go to um, uh, John chapter 10 for a moment. John chapter 10, verse 29. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus says something. These are his own words. And we'll start at verse 25. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not, because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you see that? And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them or snatch them. Out of my Father's hand, my fa- I and my Father are one. Those are, those are really cool things. I love that passage of Scripture. And not only that, but when it says no man in the King James, literally that word means no one nor anything can take them away from the Father. And I and the Father are one. Now, Satan is a snatcher. Did you know that? He's a snatcher. In fact, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter, uh, let's see, did I write that down? Maybe I didn't know. I was thinking it was chapter 13. Yeah, there it is. Matthew 13 and verse 19. Let's go there. Matthew 13, verse 19. Satan is a snatcher. 13 and verse 19. Now, this is the parable of the seed that was sown. And verse 9, we're, we're jumping into it. It says, 
verse 18, Hear you therefore the parable of the sower, verse 19, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth or snatcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receiveth seed by the wayside. Sometimes it, 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 if there's a, if there's a, a bit of truth, it's, it's like Satan loves to snatch it away. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. In fact, in John 8, 44, it says the very same thing. He's a liar from the, from the very beginning. He snatches away truth. That's what's happened in the United States of America probably 50 years ago. I don't know exactly when, but we traded in not wanting absolute truth. That is truth for everybody for all reasons at all times. That's absolute truth. And by the way, there is still absolute truth, whether anyone believes that or not. But we got to the point where anybody could have their own truth because it was nicer that way. Paul, if you wanted your truth, you could have it as long as you didn't mess with my truth because I'd have my own truth. We're today now at a level we don't even know the difference between truth and untruth. In Isaiah, it says, Woe unto them that believe that good is evil and evil is good. Our nation is there. We can't tell the difference. That's the value of truth. When we've lost it, we don't even know what it's supposed to be. You might, if you watch news in whatever sector today, it's really hard to disseminate if there's any truth. What is truth? Remember, that's what even uh, Pilate said. I don't even know in what vein. We can't tell, you know, how did he say it? But the point of the matter was is, you know what? Truth has always been somewhat evasive. It's never been as more in the world as we've seen it today. Because we've cast truth out. Because we didn't want to adhere by God's truth. That's literally it. And now here we are today not knowing what truth really literally is. The truth, what did Jesus say? The truth will set you free. We're in more bondage today in the United States than I've ever seen. And we don't even know it. The truth will set you free. Now, we are safe in Jesus Christ. And ultimately, we can't lose because 1 John 4, 4, we looked at it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But along the way, we can lose battles. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. There was something as the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians that he wanted them to be cognizant of. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. We'll start in verse 10. 2 Corinthians 2.10. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it? And for your sakes forgave it, I in the person of Christ. He's speaking of this person that, would have been, that had been in sin, and they had failed to forgive him. And watch why. Verse 11, he said that. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. How does Satan get an advantage? How does he get the advantage? And there are some deals where he gets the advantage. How does he do that? You heard me just a few moments talk about a beachhead. In defense, in the sense of military strategies, and particularly if you're on the sea trying to gain access to landmass, it's been thought, we've got to get a beachhead. D-Day. We could talk about a lot of battles that literally it was, it was really difficult because, of course, the enemy is not going to allow that. Or I should say, the people in the landmass are not going to want to have a beachhead. Well, for us, looking at it from Satan's perspective, he wants a beachhead in your mind. 
Because if he can have you think about sin, then he can have him talk about sin. Pretty soon he'll have you committing sin. That's how he works. But it's the beachhead. Well, what's the, actually the scriptures talk about one of those, and we find it literally, did you know what? In Ephesians. No less in Ephesians. Go to chapter 4. And let's take a look at what he says here. Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll start in verse 25, but it's 26 is where we really want to get to. Ephesians 4, 25 says, Wherefore, put away, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for your members one of another. That is great advice. That's great advice. As soon as they're lying, that's, by the way, in a list that God hates, you know, lying shows up about two times. He doesn't want you to miss it. He wants you to tell you another time. God hates lying. Why? Because who's the father of lies? Satan. That's what he told Eve. He really, we talked about it last week. He deceived her through his lies. But watch now, verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And there's a colon there. Neither give place to the devil. If you, now, this is an anger that it, it seems to be okay. Be, in other words, be angry and sin not. You, you, can, you can be angry. What are you going to do with it? Okay? And then at that point... But you know what? If you hang on to that anger, you know what you do? Literally give Satan a beachhead. And it's amazing how subtle that can be. It can stay so hidden in the back of, I don't know where it is in your brain, but it's hidden. It's in a closet that you sometimes don't open very much. It's a room that God doesn't go into very often. And this week, in my case, there was an individual that over the course of the last few years has done something to me that... Apparently, I found more offensive than I really thought I was even now. But in another conversation, it's like, have you ripped the scab off? And it's like, whoosh. And I'm like, wow, I haven't dealt with that guy. I haven't dealt with that situation. And for me, I had given Satan a beachhead through bitterness. Literally had. And once Satan has a beachhead, guess what? It's all open territory. It's a wide open door. So what was the best thing I could do? Well, I was convicted of that. I had to get down on my knees. I said, Lord God, take that away. That, he's yours. That guy is yours. Yes, he did me wrong. Yes, whatever. But I, I obviously am harboring it, allowing other things to come into my life. That guy is your guy. And you know what happened? Whew. Now, is it over? I don't know. Maybe the guy will come. But you know what? Now I actually feel sorry for him. Because he, know, he knew what he should have done. He chose not to do it. But now I actually feel sorry for him. Because he took a position that he knew was wrong. And I'm free because he's God's. Now, and when I did that, guess what happened? Satan got kicked off the beach. Not because of me. Because I had obeyed what God would tell me, and that is to forgive. He takes care of the situation. You want to win? You put the armor on. That's really literally the secret to spiritual warfare. Don't give him a beachhead. Don't let him have any position whatsoever. Let's talk a little bit about the enemy. We, we talked, we, we broke into the fact that Jesus Christ is completely overpowering to all of those listed in Ephesians chapter, 12, chapter 6, verse 12. But let's talk a little bit about those again. Let's go back there for a moment. It talks about principalities and powers. Those would be the high level of demons, those that would be very powerful. And it mentions also against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Literally, it would be those that have infiltrated the political structure of our world. 
Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Hold your place. We'll be right back. But Luke chapter 22, verse 53. Luke twenty-two fifty-three. Now, Jesus is being arrested. He's been betrayed. And he, he responds now in verse 52 of chapter 22. Jesus said unto the chief priests, the captains of the temple, and the elders which were come to him, Be you come out as a thief with swords and staves? When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour. And the power of darkness. When you see darkness, it's referring to that of hell, to the dominion of Satan. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 speaks even more clearly about that. It says in Colossians 1 13, it says that he hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Make no mistake, demons are involved at a very high level. We saw it even in Daniel's case. But today, I'm sure that demons, those particularly principalities, those of rulers of darkness, have infiltrated the political structure. To think any otherwise would be ridiculous, quite honestly. Those are places of tremendous power. Those are things that we personally can't take on. That's one of the things that I think is very clear is that the enemy is too great, too powerful for us to manhandle. That's why we must put on the armor. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41. 25 and verse 41. I want us to see that God prepared a place for the devil and his angels. Verse 41 says, Then he shall say also unto them on the left hand, this would be at the end of, of the tribulation. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. One day they will all end up there. There's no question about it. There is no question about it. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Putting on the whole armor. In fact, back to Ephesians, and this is an interesting... I'm going to ask you a question. Ephesians chapter 6, it says, because of that... Because of those spiritual warfare in high places, it says, Because of that, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Withstand in the evil day. When's the evil day? When is the evil day? Today. Every day. Every day since, since Satan deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. Every day since then has literally been an evil day. Now you say, wait a minute. Isn't God in control? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. But you have to put on the armor. As you're standing and resisting, in fact, that word is also used in James. James chapter 4, James chapter 4 verse 7, it says to submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So again, we're not to chase after him. We're not to do anything other than to resist. We'll be going to First Peter in a little, in a, after a little while. So to, to recap where we are so far, it's the sense that God has the strength. We put on the armor. We're fighting against a very worthy opponent. But our defense 
And he's going to go on for verses 13 through verse 17 of defining that armor. But there's something that we sometimes miss in verse 18 as a finality. This is what Satan hates the worst. As we're struggling, we may have issues. And as Paul would have led us in prayer time today, verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. There's something that Satan hates worse than anything, and that is to have Christians praying for other Christians. Do you know how much strength is in that? As we pray for those around us, those that are engaged in the battle, that is fantastic. And Satan hates every part of that. When we're praying for our nation, when we're praying for our leaders, when we're praying for those that are in the heat of the battle, he can't stand it when we pray for one another. like us to turn to first peter chapter 5 for a moment and we want to talk about maybe the attitudes because we think about the spiritual warfare in the sense of maturity and the more mature you are the more you see the more ready you are if you will first peter chapter 5 and we'll just look at a very short section here the attitudes necessary for spiritual maturity first uh, peter chapter 5 verse 5 goes on to say this 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yes, all of you be subject one to another. That's interesting. The first thing that's, and it talks about young men in regards to older men, and that is to submit. Now, that's easy to do. Everybody signs up for submission class 101, right? It's so fun. It's so much fun to submit. You guys are a quiet group. Everybody must be on board. We can skip to the next one then, apparently. Submission is easy for you. It's not for me. It's not for me. Submission, particularly to those that we should be listening to. Those of spiritual maturity, those that have spiritual maturity is a great place to be in the sense of submitting. He goes on, though, to the next one in verses 5 and 6. He talks about the next as being clothed with humility. With humility. Now, this is, this is a trick question you probably should not answer, but how many of you are here today and you're humble? <laughs> I'm only raising my hand just an illustration. I'm not raising my hand because I'm, I was just showing you how to raise your hand. But if you raised your hand, you just lost it. Because <laughs> as soon as you think you have humility, you've lost it. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. Jesus Christ was incredibly meek and humble. And yet, he was the most powerful man to ever walk the face of this earth. We found out that literally, as being God in the second person, he created everything. And yet, Philippians chapter 2, that'd be some homework for you. Philippians chapter 2, it talks about his attitude about humility. Humility. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, talks about take heed lest you fall. Pride is a terrible master. Terrible master. In fact, talking about those things that set you up for a fall... Show me someone that's very prideful, very arrogant, and I will show you someone of which Satan really literally has his hands wrapped right around him or her. You will do stupid things if if you're prideful. He has you right where he wants you. An attitude of spiritual maturity is not only submission and humility, but let's go to verse 7. It's one of trust. It says in verse... In fact, let's read the remaining part of humility in verses 5 and 6. It says, Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the... Now, what were we to resist? We're to resist Satan, right? To resist the devil and he will flee from you. This, look, did you see what God resists? Mark that. 
God hates pride. He resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. That's what I, I want to be on the grace side. The only way you can have that is literally humble. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, here's the trust part. The third attitude for spiritual maturity is in verse 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You know, sometimes that's hard to do, isn't it? You want to hang on to some of that stuff. Can I really trust God to take care of this? That's literally what that verse says. You trust God with everything because he cares for you. You're in safe hands when you trust God. Submission, humility, trust. Verse 8, here's one we like. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Be sober, be vigilant. That's to be sober-minded, if you will. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, just back a couple of pages to the left, would probably reveal verse 13. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end of the grace that is brought unto you at the far revelation of Jesus Christ. Sober-minded. Self-control would be another word we could use. Clear-mindedness. The world really is very intoxicating. It has allurements. It's trying to bring us in, if you will. It's always wanting to allure us. That's why I think one of the key components of how do we do that, how do we keep our head clear, how do we get and sort through that is Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, one of my favorite verses, one that I want to always remind myself of. Philippians 4, 8 says this. Finally, brother, and again, at the end of a letter, his final words are things I want to know what Paul's really saying here. He says, finally, brother, whatsoever things are true... Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, how many things do you hear from the world in your sense of communication that it entails those things? Most of the time, it's very, very opposite of those. Very opposite of those. How do we maintain self-control? How do we remain, maintain a sense of alertness, if you will? Which we're going to talk about in just a moment. Thinking on the right things. Back to First Peter chapter 5 and the last one. Not only is submission, humility, trust, self-control. Being alert. Being alert. If there's ever a time that we need to be alert, it is right now. That word, be vigilant. Be vigilant. We have an adversary or an opponent, the Satan. That's really what Satan means is an adversary. The word also devil, diablos, is a slanderer. He's a liar, but he's also a destroyer. He's actively spending every, I was going to say waking moment, but every moment trying to destroy things. What does he destroy? What does Satan really, what does he destroy? Life. He destroys personality, personal people. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. You're here, you're an adversary to Satan. He wants to destroy you because you are made in the image of God. He loves to destroy family. God put a man and woman together, called it a family. He wants to destroy that. He wants to destroy the church. That was another thing that God put together. You, you also see across the world now to the, the sense of lawlessness. God is for order. It's pretty obvious. Everything that God put together, Satan is trying to destroy. Everything. 
because he hates all of the things that God has put together. He loves to sow discord, to break fellowship. He's always active. He's accusing God to men and accusing men to God. Think of Job for a moment. Let's go back to Job. You mind that? Job chapter 1. Job knew nothing of this. Poor Job, right? Job chapter 1. Let's take a look. How many of you thought you were Job? At times, right? Job chapter 1, and it says in verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The Lord said unto Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, Well, from going to and fro on the earth, running around, and from walking up and down. He's looking for opportunities. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Have you seen him? There is none like him on the earth, a perfect, that would be mature and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And of course, Satan responded, Well, does God fear Job for nothing? I mean, you give him everything. You give him everything. Why wouldn't he like you, God? Why wouldn't he stand up for you? And you know what God did. He released the opportunities for Satan to literally take away those things that most would find to be very difficult. How did Job respond? You're better than I would. That's all I know. Though he slay me, I will trust in him. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And those are fantastic answers. And then his friends came. <laughs> And it was just kind of like a spiral, right? They said, well, you must have done something wrong, Job. It's obvious that's how it works. You know, that's another thing that actually goes on in our world today. When something goes wrong, it's thought that, oh, you must have done something wrong. Oh, no, not at all. You know, there's a couple of things that were really interesting in Job's thing, and we'll, we'll just very briefly. It, it's very interesting to know that there's at least two things of this whole episode. And you sometimes say, you know, it would have been nice to let Job know a little bit. Like, it's going to get this. Here, here comes this certified letter. I'd like to get these. Oh, dear Larry. You're going to have a rough week. For Job, you're going to have a rough life. <laughs> Nothing came. But you see, that would have taken the action away, wouldn't it have been? Ultimately, I tell you what, Satan learned something. He learned that a belief in God of Job's nature is literally unshakable. The power of salvation that that man had for God was undeniable and unshakable. But there's another thing behind it. At the end of it, guess who was better? Job. Those trials that come in our lives, we don't sign up for them. If you do, you're weird. But when they happen, for the trying of your faith worketh patience. It makes you better. It makes you stronger. I look back in those, those times in my life that have been difficult, and you have those moments if you're living. That's the way it works. At the end, when you've trusted God, you've obeyed Him, you've become stronger. You've gotten closer to him. It's made you who you are today. Job was twice the man at the end of Job than he was at the beginning. And Satan learned that. Satan can't take your life from you. He wants to take everything he possibly can. Let's look at, let's go to Revelation chapter 12 for the remainder of our time. Revelation chapter 12, it kind of describes for us literally these enemies that we face. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, 
This is an upcoming in the tribulation battle, but it also allows us to see what did take place. Revelation chapter 12, and it says that, verse 1, There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. She being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and was and ten, I'm sorry, seven crowns upon his heads. His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. That stars of heaven revolves around the sense of angels. And did cast them to the earth, and and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. And there was war in heaven. That almost seems weird, doesn't it? Uh, don't you guys all want to go to heaven? I do. I'm ready. In fact, let's blow this pop stand. I'm out of here, right? Now, that said something. It said there was war in heaven. Really? There was, there was war in heaven. Literally, Satan and... The third of the angels, those demons, were thrown out. Michael and his angels fought against them, it says, and the dragon. The dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. He was kicked out. He's gone. That will be final in the tribulation period. The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, that word diabolus or or, uh Slanderer and Satan, that word means adversary, which deceiveth the whole world. That's what he does. He deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That depicts for us who our enemy is. Now, what's the status of the enemy? Well, first of all, two-thirds stayed with God. One-third are with Satan. How many is there? We have no idea, except the closest we can get is to Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. Revelation 5.11, you're saying, you really know? Yeah, I really know. I tell you exactly what John saw. I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And you say, well, that didn't tell me very much. Well, by the way, there's not one more angel. There's no procreation. Whatever God created, that's it. No more, no less. One-third of them went to Satan, two-thirds stayed with God. They got one choice. Boy, am I glad that that's not the way it is with us. So all we have to do then is go 10,000 times 10,000 and add a couple thousands and we'd be there. No. Actually, in the time and frame in which I was written, there was no number higher than 10,000. So it's a way of saying there's no way of knowing the number other than it's a whole lot of them. That's the total sum of angels. So where are they at today? Who is, what's the status of these? Turn back just to the other side. You'll miss it if you're not careful. On the other side of Revelation, there's that little tiny letter called Jude. 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 In verse 6, it says something that gives us a picture of one group of these, of the third that have literally got kicked out or went followed after Satan. It says in verse 6, The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness 
unto the judgment of the great day. Well, there's a portion of these third, literally, and probably as an allusion back to Genesis chapter 6, that they are locked up eternally, never to be released. Now, they're going to be taken out of their present position and cast into, we learned in Matthew 25, verse 41, hell, the everlasting fire, uh, the lake of fire, prepared for them, that they literally will be placed there. They're going to go from one confinement to the final confinement. They're not here. They're not any part of this. That's one group. They're bound. There's also another group that are temporarily bound. Turn back to Revelation chapter 9, and we find those. Now, this is, again, you do not want to be here during the tribulation. Trust me, you do not want to be here. If you think it's difficult now, it will be crazy. Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. Watch this. The fifth angel sounded. I saw a star fall from the heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. He opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. There came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and upon them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have powers, commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And it goes on to talk about, and these literally are demons that have been released from the bottomless pit, which currently, temporarily, are bound. They're not here either. See, this is looking better. There's already two groups that aren't around us. And you say, wow, it sure seems like there's plenty of others. There is. There is plenty to go around. Now, in Luke chapter 8, verse 31, don't, you could just write in your notes, what Jesus said was he was uh, cast out some demons out of, a, out of two men, and, and what they said was, don't send us to the pit. That would have been the same place right there where they would have been temporarily bound. So they knew. They know what's ahead for them. So the third group of Satan's helpers, literally, would be through humans. Think of Jesus Christ for a moment. At every phase in this, path, in, this, in this journey, he has tried to thwart Jesus Christ, first of all, coming to earth. You can look at the curse on the kings of David, or the, the line of David. You could look at all of the aspects. In fact, Jesus Christ is born. What did, what did Herod do? He wanted to kill all the baby boys that are two years old and younger. It goes on and on and on, doesn't it? And by the way, that was through humans, which he sees as pawns. Herod, who do you think he followed? Satan. Antiochus Epiphanes. Adolf Hitler. Idi Amin. I could go on and on and on. See, those are people that have opened the Judas Iscariot. Literally, Satan indwelt him. He wanted to get rid of Jesus Christ at every single juncture. Talk about fall into God's way and the plot of the whole thing. I can't still imagine, because he must not have figured it out, otherwise he wouldn't have had Jesus Christ betrayed. Because Jesus Christ, it says, he gave himself to the cross for our sins. And the third day after that is still the greatest day that this earth has ever known when Jesus Christ blew out of that tomb to be raised from the dead to prove once and for all that our sins and the power and the penalty of that was broken forever. And Satan couldn't do anything about it. That's what it talks about in Colossians chapter 1, that he overcame the principalities and the powers. Oh, my goodness. 
Satan, his demons, and those that are unbelievers, those that literally are being used as pawns from him, are literally in battle against God, the holy angels, and believers. His strategy has always been to oppose Christ. At every level, he has opposed Jesus Christ. He always has and still does. We saw from Revelation chapter 12, we'll not read it again, verses 1 through 5 talks about him opposing Israel. Have you seen how Israel continues to be in the, just in the, in the bullseye of the rest of the world to take them out? That's not by happenstance. I mean, why does it pick Israel? Because Satan hates them. He hates them. He hates the Jewish people. Now, we also saw from Revelation chapter 12 that there's war in heaven. His strategy is to war against the holy angels and then obviously believers. In fact, let's go back to Revelation chapter 12. He, in verse 9, it speaks of... Verse 12, I'm sorry. Verse 10, there we go. I'll get it right. Revelation 12:10. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. That's one thing you can know about, about Satan. He's constantly accusing you. When you. Particularly if you don't obey, you sin as a Christian, guess what? He is right there saying, That Larry, I'm telling you what, he's a loser. You should get rid of him right now, once and for all. He's so bad, he's not worth it. And Jesus Christ, who is my defense attorney. You want a really good defense attorney? Jesus is a really, really good defense attorney. We find it in 1 John. He's our advocate. And I can afford him. And he died for me. What a deal. If lawyers worked that way, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But you know what? He's our defense attorney, and he says, I'll tell you what, Satan. All of that was paid for when Larry trusted me as his savior. That's been paid for. That's been taken care of. Case closed. Paid in full. That's who Jesus is. That's literally how it works. He can't win over God. So what are you going to do this week? Are you going to rely on your own strength? You fail. You're going to rely on God's strength? Okay. Done deal, right? No, it's not. You have something to do. You remember the boxer? Remember me taking a test? <laughs> You'll never forget that, right? <laughs> you have to study. You have to appropriate. You have to do what God has asked you to do, and that is put on the armor. Now, the one thing, that it's, it, this, when I was studying in the last couple of weeks, it's to put the armor on and leave it on. Because Satan knows as soon as you take any piece of it off, in particular, I'm thinking of the breastplate of righteousness, he's going to come right at you. Put the armor on and leave it on. That's your job. That's the appropriation that you need to do. Now, next week we'll begin the sense of unpacking each one of these weapons, or each one of these defense mechanisms and weapons, ultimately, that protect you in the times in which we find ourselves living. These are, the, these are literally the same things that Daniel protected himself of, not even knowing what they were, but he was so locked into God. He was so locked in to being un, in tune with him. Where did he spend that noon 
gathering on the day they made a law that anyone that worshipped anyone else than the king would be thrown in the den of lions. That was done in the morning on any given day that you just woke up and there it was and this new law passes. And where does Daniel go? Right to his God at noon. Just goes up right away and he's guilty. And he's absolutely, that's what I do. I pray to God. The other thing that there's strength in is the fact when we pray for one another. Thank you for praying for me and my family. I pray for you. God wants us to pray for one another. And anything that Satan hates, that's what I'm into. He hates it when Christians pray for one another. There's victory in Jesus Christ because it's his strength in our weakness. Let's get the game on. Our nation needs prayer. Our leaders need prayer. You need prayer. I need prayer. But in this together, the victory is ours. Let's appropriate what he has given us, glorify him, and get the game on. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity we have once again to have the word of God speak to us. Thank you for your truth, your truth, not my truth, not anybody else's truth, your truth. As Jesus, the very Son of God, the one that created the very things of which now have been enemies, principalities and powers, all of those dominions and thrones, he created them. Father, to think of the authority that he has is truly amazing. That authority is what we cling to because Jesus Christ not only did that, he died for my sins. He died for your sins, hearing my voice. And literally, the choices that he has allowed us to have are truly amazing. If you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, that opportunity is right here, right now. In the quietness of your heart, you can bow your heart to God and say, Lord God, I need you. This world has gone crazy. Mad, if you will. I can't win. I can't defeat what's before me. The wages of sin is death. I can't fix that. I can't take care of that on my own. But thankfully, Jesus Christ did. When you confess your sin, when you accept Christ's gift freely, because that's how he presents it. You can't buy it. You can't sell it. You can't acquire it. You can't trade for it. Your grandmother can't give it to you. This is a one-on-one with God. But he knows you more intimately than you know yourself. He anxiously, patiently is calling to you, asking you to give everything you are to him. Come unto me, all you that are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. Those words of Jesus ring true even today in the year 2021. For it is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Father, thank you for your message. Thank you for your word. Be with these dear folks this week, Father. That you would protect their minds. That you'd give them the encouragement they need to go through each and every day. Trusting you. Seeking to glorify yourself, Father, as we invest our time, our talent, our energies into things that would literally be setting our affection on things above. For that's where our investment should really be.
Thank you for your care for us. Thank you for the armor that you've provided for us. May we appropriate it. For Father, your blessing is within the circle of our obedience, just as your protection, its roadway is our obedience as well. Now take us and use us as you see fit. The journey that our lives are encapsulated in that one step at a time. Take us and use us as you see fit. We trust you, love you, yearn for you. Look forward to the day that we will finally look into the eyes of Jesus Christ. Looking at his hands, his feet, the scars that he wears for what he did for me. These things we ask in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.